Uh, 98.4 Capital FM. Good evening. This is the Financial Forecast, a show that seeks to delve into matters, economy, finance, and money matters. Nyamburandongo, alongside Ken Gishinga, Chief Economist, Mentoria Economics. Ken, the last week of the good month of October. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween, Nyambura. How have you been? I've been well. It's uh, last day of the month. Yeah. That's always a good time. <laughs> uh, it's uh, October's always a nice month uh-huh. in the sense that you have your short rains and really nice sunny spells. Right. Uh, you get the best of both worlds. So for me, I think it's gratitude, really. Yes. Did you get a trick or treat <laughs> <laughs> today? Let me tell you, the only treat I think I'd anticipate at this point, and maybe I speak for the masses, would be a subsidy on fuel. But uh, <laughs> it remains <laughs> remain a trick, isn't it? <laughs> but let me tell you, to be, I think the good thing about uh, being Kenyan is we always find a reason to celebrate. And Ken, let me tell you one highlight that I noted this weekend is that Kenyans treated themselves to a very, very um, joyous and very uh, high end month because the number of events that were happening over the weekend were crazy are you a fan of rugby i am and i did see the great game yeah yes. uh who are you supporting i mean i have to be patriotic <laughs> a south african brother yeah you are south african yes football well i didn't catch any i know there was a big game the yes, manchester, was a manchester derby, derby. I, I didn't i didn't catch it but i saw the result and a lot of people were not <laughs> well i, I watched pleased. the game i can say yeah. man city held their own yeah they totally deserved it f1 that i did not you did not <laughs> <laughs> but i didn't i did see the ballon d'Or announcement yeah that came out okay yeah. so it was a very action-packed weekend uh we had a very own halloween party and uh, heineken 150 years they had a beer festival at the hub and we really did enjoy ourselves and we really want to appreciate the hub for giving us a really end uh heineken for giving us a really fantastic weekend so let us get into financial forecast and see if at all we are going to sustain the energy and the <laughs> hype that we began at the end of October and if we are going to carry it to November, remembering it's going to be the end of the year, you know, November, December. So you're listening to us on 98.4 Capital FM and you can catch us online at www.capitalfm.co.ke slash listen live. For your comments, for your feedback, and for your questions, which we appreciate, you can reach us on our WhatsApp line 0701 uh, Socials, Facebook, X, it's at Capital FM Kenya, hashtag financial forecast. And as you set in and start your week, take time to get your weekly report every Monday by subscribing to www.mentoria.co.ke. The Governing Council today decided to keep the three key ECB interest rates unchanged. The incoming information has broadly confirmed our previous assessment of the medium-term inflation outlook. Inflation is still expected to stay too high for too long, and domestic price pressures remain strong. At the same time, inflation dropped markedly in September including due to strong base effects, and most measures of underlying inflation have continued to ease. Ken, as we normally start our show, we start by looking at what has happened globally. And today we start with Europe. So that is 
a very big role model of mine, who I'd love to meet one day, uh, the president of the European Council uh, Bank, sorry, uh, Christine Lagarde. And this is a meeting that the ECB had last week, and they met at Athens. And you educated me earlier that the meeting was held at Athens for the first time in 15 years. So why Athens? What was so significant about Athens before we even get into what has what what was in the meeting and what she has said? Yeah, I think the meeting had some level of significance. Um, the ECB has this thing called the Governing Council. Yeah. And it appears that the Governing Council, every now and then, can be hosted by one of the many central banks um, around Europe. And this particular one, they were being hosted uh, by the Bank of Greece. And one gets a sense that she's uh, very fond of Greece. If you look at the speech yeah. she gave at the dinner, uh, hosted by the Bank of Greece. She was very, very poetic, you know, really reflecting on Greece being the home of Pericles, the home of Socrates and Plato. Yes. Yeah. And one gets a feeling that if Christine Lagarde was not an economist, she would have actually been a literary <laughs> person because I looked at that speech and I was, I was, I was actually awed by right. the flowery language mm -hmm. she gave to her host, talking about, you know, Greece being the place where the mathematicians such as Euclid came from, the place where okay. um, significant. Archimedes came from, the yeah. place where uh, poetry by Homer was, was provided. And she, in fact, she even talked about some of more European um, contemporary poets such as Kavafi. So I think it's, 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 it's very, very interesting to see that side of her because I think when we look at economists, we look at sometimes uh, very dry, <laughs> outward personalities. But uh, it was very pleasant to see the literary side um, of her. But that said, the message was still as hard yeah. <laughs> as it can. Yes. I'm sure as you've, as you've heard in that clip. So Ken, you know, I'm laughing because as you as you mentioned all these things that make Athens great and what you picked from her speech, I think you're also getting into it because I, 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 I could not <laughs> I was not with you with, with uh, all the names that you've just dropped and other uh, than Socrates and Plato <laughs> No, I must confess yeah? um, actually you'd be surprised uh, economics and literature sometimes go are very good bedfellows wow. uh, because they both involve the art of description Okay. Um, yes, economics, you're describing numbers but the literary world whether it's poetry, I think uh, they're pretty significant. So it's something that uh, possibly I might not be at the level of John C. B. Okumu, but Mwalimu, but yeah. uh, I'm sure uh, it's something that we'd all appreciate. Okay, uh, I'll continue sitting next to you and then I'll, it'll probably rub off on me. <laughs> a few things I'm getting about Athens, it's, uh, it was the birthplace of democracy. I did not know that. And uh, maybe we need to plan a trip there sometime as I can be educated more on <laughs> at. So what I picked from her uh, highlights was three things. The three key ECB interest rates remain unchanged. And then inflation is still expected to stay too high for too long. Number three, something about the strong base effects let's go to number one what are the three key ecb interest rates well, that's very observant of you uh, nyambura you see unlike um here in kenya or in the united states where we have one 
reference rate. In Kenya, we have the central bank rate. In the U.S., we have the federal funds rate. The ECB is uh, slightly more complex. When you talk about interest rates, there are three key primary interest rates. Number one is the main refinancing operation interest rate. Secondly, of the marginal lending facility interest rates. And lastly, of the deposit. This is the interest rates that you get um, oh, on the deposits. deposits. And for their particular reasons, yeah. knowing that um, the ECB is an agglomeration of over 20 countries, I think in their collective wisdom, they say it's good to have targets for each because each plays a key purpose. There's some elements in the market that are looking to refinance. Okay. There's some elements that are getting new facilities. And there are the depositors who actually need to be incentivized or disincentivized in terms of what they hold in the banks. So I think for them, the three of them are pretty, pretty important and form part of their body of monetary policy. So from the three, if they decide to have all of them unchanged, so that means uh, you still get to deposit the same rate, you still get to borrow the same rate, and the third one being? Uh, the refinancing rate. So actually they mm. do have yep, all three. Okay. So when they do say that they're keeping rates unchanged, you're absolutely right yeah. that all those three counters uh, remain as is. Uh, and all of them collectively affect liquidity. Right. So if you look at all the three of them and what they do, uh, they achieve the desired objectives in terms of liquidity. And I think that's how they preferred to frame it. Yeah, because the next point she said is that inflation is still expected to stay too high for too long. And for me, what I picked up was the two. <laughs> too high for <laughs> too long. So that's, that means emphasis why is that so significant as well? Yeah, emphasis is part of the literary. Yeah, <laughs> see? Right. Um, I think it's really an articulation that inflation is sticky. Okay. Every time you listen to some economists, they'll tell you inflation is sticky, meaning that it's not coming down right. as fast as it would. Um, the opposite to that would be inflation is transitory. Transitory means it's temporary. You don't need to act. Things will self-correct. So what she's telling us is inflation is sticky. sticky. It's going to take time. to. It's already coming down, yeah. but it's not at their target of 2%. Okay. And it will take time because there are structural issues Thanks. playing out in the economy that prevent it to come down. So I think that really was the message that she was um, trying to communicate there. Um, Ken, if I can ask, and um, I hope I'm not throwing you into the deep end, was Greece at some point was in some sort of trouble quite a while back. So what do we learn from how they managed their situation in terms of even now where Europe is and there's still this struggle? Yeah, that's a very powerful question, Nyambura. And it wasn't quite long ago. Yeah. We're talking of less than a decade exactly. ago. And this was uh, post the global financial crisis. Mm -hmm. um, it's debt really um, grew out of what yes. had been expected. I think it had been discovered that their debt had been um, not fully disclosed. Right. So the full extent of their debt came out, um, it really locked them out. It crumbled. Over, mm -hmm. A lot of things crumbled. Yeah. Uh, now what followed, the events that followed uh, were very traumatizing yes. for the Greeks um, because the IMF came in, just like they in Kenya. Yeah. IMF came in, the World Bank came in. The ECB, in fact, they call the very unholy <laughs> Trinity. 
you know, the Troika. Okay. At some point, Nyambura, if you ever said the IMF in the streets of Athens, I think somebody would actually lynch you. Really? Yeah, because the measures there, the austerity measures there were so, so extreme. Uh, they were so terrible. Um, Greece lost almost a quarter or something of percent of its GDP. Okay. Um, people fell into real poverty. Yeah. And it was a time of real suffering. And the people in Greece, you know, that's the Mediterranean part yes. of Europe, were also not liking that Germany in the north was fairly doing quite well at that time. So mm-hmm. it, 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 it was a very tough time. Obviously, there were some indirect benefits yes. because the devaluation of their currency mm. made it uh, cheaper okay. for tourists yeah. to, to go, go there. there. So they did see a wave of tourism, okay. uh, tourists coming from England. Um, you could afford we should to have go traveled there. We should have, tra- <laughs> we should have traveled We're 10 years <laughs> We're late, this yeah. conversation. If there was ever a time to go to uh, Greece, Athens uh, and Santorini yeah. and meet Homer, that, <laughs> that, that, that was the time. But I think they've gotten along. Okay. I, I'm not sure if the lessons have been fully learned. Sometimes, okay. sometimes that's what I fear about markets. I, the lessons can be so harsh, yes. but sometimes the people who learn it are different from the people who come oh. up with the next business cycle. Oh, okay. Because economies are business cycles. Yes. You have booms and busts. Okay. So sometimes the people who are in charge of the booms are not the same people. So hopefully they learned a lesson. And I think from a broader perspective, yeah. it showed people how dangerous austerity measures can, can be. be. You know, sometimes yeah, we, we always talk about we need more austerity measures here in Nairobi. It, it shows sometimes how austerity measures, Come if on. not done prudently, yeah. can really hurt a country. And it actually put in a lot of credence to the American approach of stimulus. Okay. Because there's two schools of thought that came out after the post-election, I mean, the, the global the, financial crisis yeah, yeah. was, how do you get out of a crisis? The Americans were like, stimulate, the stimulate, market, the give people money, yes. let people spend. Uh-huh. The Europeans were austerity, austerity, austerity. And clearly that lost, that battle lost, and everybody. It's only later on that the European, uh, the ECB even started things like quantitative easing okay. um, to start boosting. So it, it, I think it was a lesson on how to get out of recessions, about putting money in people's pockets, right. let people spend, build mm. confidence. Um, so sometimes it's, heart-wrenching sometimes when I see us sometimes pursuing deep austerity measures. Yes. Well, not deep, but when people talk about austerity measures very lightly without the benefit of that hindsight. Of that hindsight. Mm. And I think that's the beauty again about markets because you try one thing, it has a different outcome. You try another thing, and funny thing, I think if at all you they would have tried something different in another maybe geograph- geographical scope, it would have been different, different outcome. And we can also see when we're talking continental, we can see countries that are also struggling. And uh, I know we'll talk about the, our shilling later. And if at all, if at, we were to get to that point, what not to do? But at the same time, as you've said, the people who are doing the laws that back then are probably not going to be the same ones. And that's a different school of thought. So back to inflation being too high for too long. So and uh, you can combine it also with the strong base effects what does that mean yes that's another phrase base effects is a word that is tend to be used a lot by economists and Mm -hmm. most people don't be fully have a handle on it pretty much inflation is a fraction yeah it compares the price of a commodity today Mm -hmm. and the price of uh, the same commodity this time last year okay so the cost of um, um, mangoes today 
versus the cost of mangoes Halloween last so, year. Let's say the cost of fuel today. <laughs> now you notice last year mm-hmm. inflation. So the numerator is this year's price. Yeah. The denominator is last year's price. You might you might have to tell us <laughs> in a fraction. <laughs> the, the, the others. Top, thank you. The numerator <laughs> yes. is this year's price, and the number uh, at the bottom, at the, the bottom, denominator, yes. is last year's price. Right. Now, last year's price went at remarkably high from 2021. Yes. Uh, the rise from last year to this year has not been as significant. As significant as the so previous the, So the value has been high, yes. Yes. But the leap is not, not as that high. high. So basically, base effects means the baseline has not okay. significantly changed. changed. So a lot of people, when they look at inflation numbers like in Kenya, by mm-hmm. the way, I think they should be coming out anytime now. Okay. Inflation numbers, you can actually take a guess. Yeah. But people will be like, oh, is inflation coming down? But when I go to the supermarket, everything things are is expensive. Yeah. Pretty much. For my thousand, I'm getting less goods. Exactly. Yeah. People c- confuse that. And pretty much what the Bureau of Statistics is telling you is yes, the number is high, mm-hmm. but the change from last year is not it's significant. Not so you are only looking at the quantum, but they are looking at the movement from last year. And that's sometimes the difference between sort of those two conversations. So what Lagarde is saying here is the base effects uh, are playing out. The baseline okay. has not significantly changed, yet yeah. prices are high. Yes. Uh, and that means the fraction is smaller and coming down. So it is still high. Correct. Basically. So the price is high. Yeah, the price the is high, but the movement has not, not been that high. Significant, right. Okay. Uh, looking into the United States, and I was reading the global markets report by Mentoria Economics. And the first line, it stated that the U.S. economy grew at its fastest pace in nearly two years in the third quarter. But we have discussed, we have been discussing how the feds are meeting, uh, what went up, the markets went down, uh, they are expecting, uh, you know, all that. So how did... How did their markets grow? So what was what was this driving this growth? You know, the American market is uh, uh, puzzling yeah. in many ways, and that's uh-huh. exactly it. The expectation for the third quarter numbers had been about 4.3%. That mm-hmm. was the most optimistic. The fact that it went almost six basis points uh-huh. uh, ahead of that, um, it tells people that the labor market is still tight. And I think this is what is really helping the U.S. Okay. Uh, the labor market <clears throat> is still very tight, meaning that people are able to negotiate with the employers higher salaries. Okay. So when you have a higher salary, you are able to purchase more. Are you able to... Uh, because your employer does not have as many options in the market. Right. And this is the beauty about having low unemployment. Mm-hmm. in a society mm-hmm. it means when inflation starts becoming a problem employees um, have the card they mm-hmm. can play that card of we also uh, need to increase it yeah. that Maybe. card cannot be played in kenya it or in many parts of oh. the developing world because yeah, europe have yeah. huge levels of unemployment True. where the employer will say oh, okay you don't want this job i look there are 10 million people right. who can do it faster and better now, that can't happen in the U.S. Okay. because the unemployment levels are very low, quite low. Mm-hmm. So your employer has to meet you at the uh, negotiating mm-hmm. table. So pretty much because employment has been low, okay. uh, people are able to negotiate higher yeah. packages. 
And with those higher packages, they're able to they're afford able themselves. To, not only are they able to offset the impact of inflation, exactly. but they're also able to upgrade their standards of living. And that's yeah. why I keep saying we need to look at em- unemployment mm-hmm. as the objective. We always look at inflation so yes. much. What you want to look at is unemployment. Because in a society of low unemployment, employees have bargaining power right, right. to be able to move that. And that's what has happened in the U.S. where people have, okay. have negotiated better packages. People, Somebody is earning this amount, is earning more. Is able to buy more equipment, so that so, is really working mm-hmm. out for them. Yeah. And America is a consumption society. Two thirds of the economy is being driven by okay. consumption. So when you do have uh, purchasing, power. purchasing power, people You're go good. and buy more TVs, more Oktoberfests, get more cars, <laughs> more beers, <laughs> more beers. Right. <laughs> right. So that is the reason that I keep coming that point that we need make unemployment the central indicator of our economic yeah. policy because yes. when you have that it really does lead to broad standards of living uh, and in hard times right. it makes the economy quite quite resilient because you can imagine the fed has been increasing interest rates for hurting all of us exactly you're hurting more yeah. than the americans <laughs> are hurting but they are enjoying really i mean no, they're not enjoying but they are actually managing reasonably. So ideally when they say the GDP and inflation for them what is happening in the market is also getting home and they can see the changes but at the same time they're able to be cushioned and they can see okay even if uh, sugar was 210 I can still afford it now and I'll still get something on top of it. So for us here we are going to be talking about GDP and how it's growing but at the same time my I'm still not even able to now I cannot afford even basic commodities Yet I'm still being told Kenya's economy is meant to grow by 5.5%. I mean, actually, they don't even look at GDP. Right. GDP is only something their economists just look that. at. The ordinary person, right. when a president is going for re-election, the most important indi- indicator, mm-hmm. the weekend before e- election, yeah. is where is yeah, employment. unemployment rate. So basically, the American election is always on, I think, the second tuesday of november so the november numbers of unemployment where is it now and when you started where where was was it it? they never talk about gdp is just something that bankers and economists but then the ordinary person looks at that and if that number is good chances are high you'll be re-elected when that number is bad no matter how good you're going home (laughs) you're going home and that's why i keep saying we need to look at that model more seriously because it speaks more here in kenya we always told gdp is going up five percent which is true yeah what they don't tell you is much of that is public sector spending. It's exactly. Your bypasses, your northern bypass, northern bypass. So it's construction, which is useful, yes, but not directly, in immediately. The, exactly. In the uh, long run, it will be. In the long be. run, it, it will be. Uh, but as Milton, I don't know, one of the, I think Milton Friedman once said, in the long run, you're all dead. <laughs> I think that was Keynes. <laughs> okay, that was Keynes. Yeah, so we have to move away from long-run economics to... to I think we need to get into this art business. (laughs) I like that. That's a very good one. So we're all still having the Fed uh, meeting. Is it today? Yes, indeed. Uh, Or they have already met or they're meeting? So it's it's a two-day meeting. Uh So today is is the first one, but the decision um, will be communicated um, tomorrow. Okay. What what is your expectation? I think there is a consensus that... um, the Fed might hold interest rates. I think there is a consensus to that. Mm-hmm. Um, granted that, as you say, the economy is doing very well. Yes. I, mean, not, I mean, relatively well. Relatively. Um, consumer confidence numbers are coming out. 
I think they still are feeling that um, they'd want to allow monetary policy to stay at, as it is, okay. as restrictive as it is. I don't think there's a need to do that. But mm. given that the economy still seems, seems resilient, yep. I'm sure it would not be a surprise if, if they say they're hiking it, <laughs> given the fact that they co- demand uh, still, still, uh, still uh, seems very They're strong. still able to meet the, their end of the bargain. So Treasury has shared its borrowing plans for the next three months, Ken. So they are still borrowing. <laughs> what are we doing wrong? <laughs> and how much are they borrowing? <laughs> well, the U.S. Treasury, that's part of the big things coming out from the U.S. Um, and this is under Janet Yellen, yeah. who actually was a former um, central bank governor oh. of the Fed Reserve, really coming out with uh, borrowing plans. Every government has its borrowing plans. I think what shocked people was how big those yeah. were. I think um, she said for this last quarter, the last three months, about $776 billion. They're borrowing. That's what they'll be borrowing. For that quarter. For no, three months. For that three. Every, typically, most governments have an annual borrowing yes. program. And it's broken down into quarters. Mm. So first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. So what she was saying pretty much is, you know, we, they plan to have a pretty aggressive uh, borrowing period right now of about 700 and 76, and 76 billion. Uh, I mean, you know, here, everybody talks about next year's 2 billion euro bonds. Yes. You know. It's, <laughs> so putting things is... into perspective, <laughs> so that's that, not even a drop in the ocean. That's almost 300 times and wow. 350 times right. more, uh, more. And so I think it, it it's also good for somebody to just think about uh, the different orders of magnitude of of those and for them oh. that is hardly something to even talk about i mean it's the biggest yeah but as you said their um, their third quarter numbers are growing and, and that's why I, I keep mean, telling people sometimes don't yes that we need to look at debt but don't obsess mm-hmm. with that because if debt is being handled well for yeah. then the economy is vibrant it'll just be, be money coming in and out money in and out but standards of living Growing are up. Still growing. So I think it's really about money circulation. Okay. That's a key thing. Do we have enough circulation of money around the economy so that people are doing business? Yeah. That those are things that I think sometimes we need to look at. So random question, Ken, before we go into our break. So if they borrow that much, are they borrowing is the highest cost or whatever it, is it security um defense? That's what they use most of the money for. Is that the one thing that they actually use this money that they're borrowing from? Oh, well, it's diversified. I mean, and it depends on the presidency's agenda. Obviously, mm. security tends to be big. Uh, Donald Trump used to be big on infrastructure. Okay. Uh, you might find also spending wall. such as social spending. How do you have social spending? The Democrats tend to be very big on um, social programs. Okay. So that might be their uh, priority for them, yeah. Okay. Let's get into... A break. Capital FM, you are tuned in to the Financial Forecast, a show that delves into matters, economy, 
matters finance matters money and you're with me myself nyambura ndongo and ken gishinga chief economist mentoria economics now before we went into the break and we were discussing global markets and we had la- left one out asia so japan is announcing its monetary policy today i think it has already announced if i'm not wrong so what was the outcome of that uh, policy monetary policy sorry i guess indeed uh today was uh, their date to set out um japan's monetary policy is slightly unique uh, i know we've talked about the ecb setting interest rates we did um the fed the feds in kenya we talk about the cbk uh japan have what is called a yield curve control where really uh they are targeting a particular yield so the 10 year bond in global finance yes. whether it's a 10 year bond in the US or the 10 year bond in Japan tends to be really the benchmark of a country's uh, borrowing program yeah so for them they target what is the yield they would like to see so what they said today was could be at 0% yes uh with a slight upper bound of 1% so li- really they will not allow that um upper bound to go beyond 1% and basically based on that they're able to draw out a yield curve from then till now which the other tenor so it's a very interesting um approach that you don't see in most other countries yeah. uh, but that was their position so essentially they're leaving it unchanged okay. because that was their position before um uh, but you know how they manage or mismanage it um could be quite um significant i remember this because the last time we talked about japan's economy and they have said it's a reverse the, the negative interest the rates. negative interest yes. rates and I've, i still found that very fast so for them they have decided they're just going to maintain as they are going into the equities um, the markets are a bit shaky up and down but there's a statement i read it said that the stocks rise after strong earnings reports and the treasury yields stabilize that is so mouthy <laughs> <laughs> so in layman's language break it down for us what does that mean well essentially that speaks to the two forces uh, that tend to drive the price of a stock mm-hmm. you know people always ask what will determine the price of an apple stock yes. or an alphabet stock mm-hmm. Uh, normally it's what is happening with other companies the earning reports okay. which are positive yes and at that time it was a big the microsofts that were announcing yeah, they were very announcing good last week but there's also the opportunity cost of what's happening in the bonds market because opportunity cost is your foregone opportunity ah, so right. for you to be here at financial forecast I'm the opportunity forgoing. cost is you could be reading a book you could be having dinner right. and and such so the opportunity cost for holding stocks is what's happening on the bonds uh-huh. on the market you're not so going to be yield, purchasing the bonds right so when yields um start coming down remember we said the 10 year bond they are crossed their 5% mark yeah. for the first time mm-hmm. in 2007 now mm-hmm. investors love high yields okay when that number retreats backwards they tend now to go back to oh, the stock to the market stocks, yeah. So those two tend to be inversely linked. Okay. So when you have good yields and that's what even you're seeing in Kenya when yields in the US are high people exit our stock market here. You know people are always asking why is our stock market 
so low. Yeah. It's really the same story. People are getting high yields, right. so they're exiting, and 80% of our domestic market, our, our market is actually foreign participation. So that same also applies in okay. their stocks, where any good news on plays out side, on those two. On those, are, those tend to be the two counters okay. that uh, sort of like accommodate uh, news items. So that means, if at all, um, the markets were all red today, people are opting now to go into the bonds. Excellent. Okay. Right. I am educated now. <laughs> <laughs> Going into the com- commodities, um, I think everything, energy uh, futures were all back up. Uh, metals, I think the, the futures have all stabilized. We did not see so much red as, as was last week. Is there anything that you can highlight on the commodities? Well, I think what was interesting uh, was really a World Commodities Outlook report uh-huh. that was published by the World Bank. Yes. And it was quite interesting because it, it takes a step back uh-huh. from the daily noise and looks at the big picture of what's happening in commodities and really um, them giving an outlook. And very interesting, they said they're looking at the Israel-Hamas war really as the anchor point yes. for the outlook. And I think depending on how it plays out, it's going to affect global commodities in different ways. And they talk about three scenarios. There's one that they call a small disruption where things, um, an agreement is found, things de-escalate. Right. It means oil production will just go down by about half a million barrels to two million barrels. Yeah. And prices will only go up from 3% to 13%. And they model that situation. And they say the equivalent of that was uh, the Libyan civil war that we saw about a decade ago, or some years ago. Yeah. They also talk about a medium disruption. This is a world where that fight escalates, yes. uh, but still to a, a fairly manageable level. Oil prices go down 3 to 5 million barrels, and prices go up. 21% to 35%. And they say the equivalent of that would have been the Iraq war back in 2003. Right. That would be sort of how it would play. Yeah. The last case scenario is what they call a large disruption mm-hmm. where they say now things just completely, more players come in and become the full-blown crisis. Then they see fuel prices going, I mean fuel volumes going down by 6 million to 8 million barrels. And the equivalent of this is would be the 1973 Arab oil embargo, oh, wow. which disrupted the whole world. Right. So I think those are the three scenarios they are playing out. Okay. And I think uh, anybody interested in really looking at commodities outlook, That's a lot will be yeah. anchored on that. I think it's, it's an annual report by the World Bank. I think it's quite an interesting report and very important. So <laughs> where where do you think uh, the Ukraine-Russia is? Is it in the middle? Well, it's very hard to say. I think that has to be one of the most unpredictable was because at, at one point you hear there's um, an arrangement. Yeah. Then all of a sudden a huge installation is blown something up. Something happened. And something happens. It's very unpredictable. And I think it's also dependent on other events that are playing out around the world. Okay. Mm. I think today we've really delved so much into the global markets. Now let's <laughs> come to continental. And South Africa have been bailed out by the World Bank. And I was reading this again in the Global Markets Report by Mentoria Economics. So why are they being bailed out and uh, what is the money for? 
Uh, you know, Nyambura, we've been talking about the energy crisis uh, with uh, ESCOM, mm -hmm. um, really, and that is really complicating um, the outlook for. Because South Africa is an industrialized economy; they need power. Yes. Twenty-four hours a day to run the mines. Yeah. To run the banks. To run everything. It's mm. a highly, it's the most industrialized yes. nation in Africa. In Africa. So for them, issue of power. So I think the ESCOM thing has been a major letdown. So I think the World Bank has taken a look and said, hey guys, this is a billion dollars. Yeah. Try and find a solution to this, uh, preferably a low carbon okay. um, solution for you to get energy, but uh, without the carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's a boost. And I think ESCOM itself is actually going to be broken down into three entities. You'll have a generating unit, you'll have a transmission unit, and you'll have um, I can't remember the third one. Right. It's almost the way we used to have it in Kenya before Kengen yes. was separated from Kenya Power. Mm -hmm. I think the, they are following that model okay. where okay. let's deal with the generation issues, uh -huh. let's deal with the, the transmission uh -huh. issues and the supplies. Transmission, okay. So Kengen doesn't have to deal with Nyambura and me. Ken. Exactly. <laughs> their bills. Uh, I'm not, they're Kenya not going Power to be responding to me. <laughs> I think that's sort of some of the recommendations okay. that they're making for them. But yeah, it's, 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 it's good money that can help them explore um, more alternative power uh, generation, particularly in a world that's very cl climate friendly. Yes. I think those are some of the things that will be coming up. Yeah. Uh, do you think there's going to be maybe a, a preferred supplier <laughs> when they're getting, <laughs> because you know, there's always the hand that we do not see. So uh, as they're having their energy crisis, there's going to be, okay, we're giving you money and you can use this supplier to get <laughs> and you can never know with, uh, <laughs> with the Bretton Woods institutions right. possibly but I know I'm sure the climate thing will be coming up okay. in fact it was I think it was underlined mm -hmm. that they didn't look for low carbon, low carbon. Um, I think that's sort of like the hand mm -hmm. that will hand. guide right. <laughs> the type of power they'll have yeah. in Nigeria <laughs> similar to East Africa <laughs> The Naira has depreciated by over 50% uh, at both the authorized and unauthorized market segments. <laughs> Ken, what is happening to Africa? <laughs> well, the guys would not want to hear you laughing. But, but yeah, it's, it's Nigeria is... Um, I mean, I mean, I think it's been put as a worst performing currency. There's too much happening. There's a lot happening. Um, there, obviously, the president is coming up with reforms. Mm -hmm. um, they're trying to reorient an economy. Um, you see, the Nigeria has been very tied to the oil economy. Yeah. Which was never the case before oil was discovered. You know, if you go to a place like a Biafra, Biafra used to be fertile agricultural land. I'm staring at you like this because I'm hearing this for the first time. I did not know that. Oh, really? I'm, but I'm sure you've heard about the Biafra War. Somewhat. Even some of the writers, I think it was Chino Achebe, yes. talks about that. Yeah. So if you talk, look at Nigeria in the 60s and 70s, it was actually a very, almost like Kenya, very agriculture-based And then they discovered oil. Then they discovered oil. There's something in economics we call the Dutch disease. Where you discover something good <laughs> and everything, everything else collapses. <laughs> yeah. So you discover the one thing that makes you money. Well, it's the and liquid gold. <laughs> Unfortunately, they fell into that, that Dutch shop. disease. Uh -huh. So you find agricultural productivity has not productive. Other things that should have been uh, looked at have been yeah. ignored because oil 
releases. But you see, oil is a commodity and goes up and down. Totally. And, 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 and when you depend on oil receipts to fund your military, True. Uh, you put yourself in a very difficult scenario when you have to pay military, pay your debts, yeah. and such. So I think the new thinking is we need to restore the more diversified okay. Nigeria. The Nigeria that is in agriculture, is in fintech, right. is in oil, is in yams and mm. cocoa. So I think it's that is thinking. But it takes time to reorient a generation right. that has been used to I mean, pump that oil. <laughs> which is, yeah, and it is interesting as you, as you keep talking because I'm thinking, you see, for the oil, mm. most of the time they're going to be exporting it because, I mean, local consumption can only get to a certain level, which is also funny because also their energy sector also struggles. So their power has a problem. So they export most of it. And then at the same time, they have such a large population of people who are not fed. So this is what they're coming back to because now you have a hungry people who have no power and probably no source of income and unemployment, I would think. So spot on, an, an, a hungry person is an yeah, angry person. very angry. And that can lead to huge um, social um, destabilization yes. factors. Um, I think part of the thinking is much that needs to happen is, is in the long term to get an economy back to production mode is not something you do overnight. Right. So I think but I think the president is trying to win off the subsidies. Okay. He's trying to get the currency to be somewhere that can work for everybody. Right. Uh, not just for one people. Uh, but you're right. How do we get Nigeria to produce more things? And how do we get it? And Nigeria has been blessed with an incredible incredible diaspora right in yes, very yes, aggressive yes. <laughs> very smart they are aggressive um, i mean only last week you know I, here at two rivers i met two young nigerians working on a fintech mm-hmm. app and they showed me what it's happening nice and i was so impressed i was like wow do even kenyans know that, what that you're this doing? is happening yeah basically this is an app that allows you to have an account in us okay and in uk so if you're doing a job as a consultant so Nigerians have been blessed with that. I mean, if you look at the diaspora remittances Nigeria gets, it's about twenty billion dollars. Wow. Here in Kenya, we rejoice when they get to four billion. So we are doing <laughs> five times of, of that. So Today they are have... really humbling us, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to speak uh-huh. the fact as it is. I think sometimes when you talk about things we don't have a comparative yeah, really, yeah. metric. So they have that, but they don't have what um, Nigeria don't have is the governance. Okay. I think corruption okay. and poor policies have really hampered. I mean, the politics of oil yes. has really become very messy, and that's what has held them back. Okay. So I think it's the president is looking at a time where they try to get, sort of get go back to the back basics and get things back in line. But that's not something you can do overnight. No, so it's going to take some time. Part of the speech I talked to about in that report mm. was really is appealing to the country to say, yes, I know. This is Things a tough time, uh, but we are making progress. Yeah, you mm. might not see it now, but in in years to come, yeah. it it is going to we are going to redo this mess. Right. So locally, we are still talking about our over over valuation of the Kenyan shilling, Ken, mm. and we touched on this and we played the clip uh, by our CBK governor talking about how the Kenyan shilling is overvalued. So and we talked about what it means for it to be overvalued but what does that mean like what are the next how significant was that statement 
and it has still there's still so much conversation about it in terms of okay so do we expect the dollar then uh, for us to be buying it is it going to get to 200 if that was the case then and we are still hurting now so yeah that has multiple levels of significance um and to different people um obviously a foreign investor coming in uh-huh. would say if i wanted to buy a property in kenya chances are that it's been overvalued exactly what i've been told if i'm yeah. eyeing a nice mansion it's still overvalued it's still overvalued so i might pull back and say hmm, let the market mm, uh, correct con- um if it's somebody working an employee here like one of the employees he asked me does that mean that you are paying more for the goods uh, here exactly so, uh, possibly the cars so the question, the question is what is the litmus test yes to say that a currency is undervalued or overvalued and the main litmus test is how frequently does the regulator um enter the market disrupt the market right if it's very frequently mm-hmm. then it shows you are not operating at an equilibrium Under, price yes. because in an equilibrium price you should not market have should any interference, interference. Yes. now what's been happening um especially post covid is and especially with the dollar flights that we talked about yes. the foreign exchange reserves have been depleted by law we require to maintain uh, four months of import cover okay sometimes that has gone below that 3.9 3.8 but the beauty about that situation is it has almost tied central banks hands so they can't um uh, intervene Play so much into it they can't I? intervene right. they can't sell dollars uh-huh. into the market so one would argue because of that then the market has been naturally been drifting towards its it's, it's correct its corrective position okay. and there's no need to panic yes. that is just the market is correcting so i think that's for me that's how I'd want to look at it that uh, there has been very little intervention okay so we're just approaching what should be the equilibrium price so i don't think it's it's cause for panic okay. that story has done rounds it has but also you have to remember the central mandate of the central bank is price stability it's inflation yes so they always have to be careful if the the slide is too steep too volatile that's when they're supposed to intervene Okay. So that imported inflation because you're buying fuel, you're buying medicine, you're buying, you're buying food. Yeah. In dollars. Yes. So they have to make sure that that weakening even if it's about the destination, about the end, mm. it's not introducing what is called imported inflation. Okay. Because if the currency weakens, it means what you're buying becomes mm. more expensive. Way too expensive. So the CBK actually is telling us right. exactly what Christine Lagarde was telling, telling folks in Athens yes. that the destination is as important as the journey. As the, journey. the journey is as important. Don't be obsessed with the destination with, yeah. and forget the about the journey. So even if you have to go to Mombasa, right. it's not just anyhow. Sightseeing. Also enjoy the process. Yes, right. So I think the CBK is also saying the journey also matters. Okay. And and they need their workers to intervene right. is only when things are very volatile. Okay. to reduce that volatility. So I think I'm happy. I think I'm happy. I don't I don't think uh uh there needs to be anything beyond that. Okay. And 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 and, and at the end of the end of it it becomes an opinion. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it he was just making a statement but right about now the market is okay. Like if 
they are not going to intervene so we shouldn't worry <laughs> and uh, we wait and see how things are going to play out in the market that is well they're not going to intervene in the sense that changes the direction of the currency yeah. what they want to do is they'll stem volatility okay if things are too hot they might come then in to stem volatility in. but they do not have a preferred position for okay. the exchange rate okay. and i think that's what has they've always right. been reiterating okay. that anytime they intervene it's to stem out volatility but it's not to dictate okay a particular type so if you look at a five-year view yeah of the shilling against the dollar it's it's tends to be a steady okay depreciation so mm. it really tells you there's already an acceptance that the shilling needs to go where it needs to go okay but it needs to go in a way that does not uh, make mm. it difficult mm. for imagine if you're a business okay. maniac and you're importing things from china yeah or you're importing your vehicles it doesn't things from exactly. japan yeah. that would it a steep price would make definitely yeah we'll, we'll, so we'll, we'll just crumble stability okay in that journey all right i think that's a that's a very positive report and uh, view so treasury has published a supplementary budget can and for me my thought was we have the main budget that is read uh, sometime in june and then now we have the supplementary budget does it give input into next year is it for this year are the changes meant to be within the year what is the supplementary budget yes most people tend to know the june budget yeah uh, where the finance bill mm-hmm. is read remember mm-hmm. how dramatic it was oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this we, year we, yep. uh, but people tend to forget that after the drama of the finance bill <laughs> more the treasury still exists <laughs> And so they still have more budgets and uh, they still have more smaller budgets These are called supplementary budgets okay this is when now you look at the economic outlook and say okay there's new information that has come that we didn't have it back in june that we need to change okay. course so when you as you make your budgets i'm sure you can do your projections yes. when new information comes in yeah you have to tweak it a bit so it's a tweak to what's happening and i think what they said uh is they're moving less from development okay expenditure towards recurrent okay so the two main expenditures development mm-hmm. is things the like roads yep. and bridges mm-hmm. um recurrent is pensions yes and salaries. salaries i feel i think they feel there's a bit of a strain oh, in the I'm recurrent sorry. yes so they cut a bit of that and put it and also some changes to education i think education there'll be some winners mm. in there so it's a tweak it tends to be very quiet most people don't actually mm-hmm. i think it made one of only one of the headlines yeah but people don't tend to be and that's why i keep saying uh, economics is not just around in june yes it it happens, it happens every, every day. single day every <laughs> exactly. single month in fact by the time it's getting to june most of the they already, already know made. but so is it are the supplementary budgets in inside is there an, a provision in the national budget that okay we are going to have supplementary or is it something like is going to be totally new like if at all they had budgeted for 50 billion for education and i think there were headlines going around that um, education now is no longer going to be free and stuff so do they go back and say out of the 50 billion that we had allocated for education a supplementary budget is going to come and now we are going to spend like 20 Well if, if your question is if there's a legal basis for the supplementary yes it is okay. it's recognized legally uh, the number of how much you can issue mm-hmm. that's still up to the cabinet secretary because it's cognizant of the fact that we are in an evolving world okay. 
at that time there was no Israel Hamas war. Yes. Never Israel Hamas yes. war. Yes. So the things you might wanted to have exported to Middle East now you not, can't might not give you so the projections uh-huh. you had had in terms of dollars might also have to change. be reduced. So it's it's just tweaking it. Okay. Uh, what I found interesting was the increase the budget size. It's now 3.9 <laughs> trillion. They're just uh, shy away from 4 trillion. Okay. But as you said last week, revenue targets for last quarter have not been met. So somebody so on the street would ask, budget. how would you increase my budget when I didn't even, not meet, even meet the last the revenue? Yes. Those are some of the, okay. the big questions that, you know, as economists, we are sort of like unpacking yes. uh, on sort of on a daily. What does that mean? Because it means you'll have to borrow more. Exactly. Yet the narrative you've had is we need to reduce our borrowing Spending. and attacking Madeni, but actually... Actually, doing the reverse. And I think it's good. It it is. It is ironic, (laughs) and I think it's good that they're now looking at the recurrent because at the same time that they say the recurrent is so high that we are still not even able to meet the recurrent uh, recurrent expenditure, and things like pension and all those um, salaries, they're also hurting. So that also means that my pocket is hurting. If I told my mother at home cannot get her pension, or if I worked for all these many years and I can't get my pension, then that means I'm still at home. But I worked, but I don't have the money. So <sighs> it's actually going to be even more challenging because if you look at the civil service, the population that is over fifty years is in the next increasing. ten years that will be uh, retiring. Yes. It forms almost almost forty percent of the civil service. Wow. So not only are we talking about huge cash payouts that is going for to the be... next ten years, but also the issue of knowledge management. Right. When you have about 40% of your civil service, imagine highly advanced engineers at Kenya Power who have been Leaving. taken to all the trainings right. the world has to offer, now retiring. Will your college I, graduate from I just the in. local campus, will you be able to fill oh, that knowledge? That so there's a big also knowledge management okay. that has to be thought about over the next 10 years as we think about the structure of our civil service. I think the one thing I've picked up today, Ken, is... And, I, and we also brought it up last week is budgets are not, they can't be fixed and we have to remain flexible. And I think that's the one thing that um, as I'm doing my projections, as we're getting to the end of the year and uh, looking as to how this year happened and next year happened, I have to remain flexible and keep changing and keep uh, being versatile because as well, the markets are changing. Ken, it has been an interesting conversation. We can continue until you know, <laughs> eight, but I can see Wanjera is here and she's telling us it's time to get hyped with the hype. So thank you, Ken, for a, a wonderful conversation as usual. I, I totally enjoyed it. Uh, you can catch up on this episode, for sure. I can say you can catch up on this episode <laughs> of the Financial Forecast on Capital FM SoundCloud page and anywhere you get your podcast from. From us, it is Happy Halloween end of October and happy November when it starts. Thank you and enjoy your evening.